How cool. Thank you, brother. How cool. How cool. Um, Jason has a talent with words, man. Love to love to hear what he brings. All right. I'm going to be bringing the message this morning, but first I'm going to remember, as Heather has told me 14 times this morning, to dismiss Children for Children's Church for not having teen class today because I'm up here, so consider this teen class, but if we have uh, someone wants to go back to Children's Church, that'll be wonderful, and you can do that now. And I'm going to open us up, uh, open the message up with some prayer really quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another beautiful day, Lord. Thank you for the people here at Capital City. Thank you for the incredible talents that, that crop up here at Capital City. It's, it's astounding to me sometimes, the, the people and the talents and the wisdom and all of those things that, that we see here at this church. And so we thank you for it, Lord. And uh, we just ask you to be with us as always, Father. And uh, as I bring the word, Lord, I just ask that you would give me wisdom and direction and insight and uh, have me say just what you would have me to say and uh, have the people here to hear what you would have them to hear, Father. Anything that, that I bring, that I present this morning that is not of your word, I pray that every heart here would discern it and just cast it aside, um, but that your word would be spoken and honored here this morning in Jesus' name. All right. <clears throat> I thought I would um, start this morning with a silly little hypothetical little story. All right. And so I want you guys to imagine that, you know, you're here, you're in a church, you're attending church like Capital City, and there's a person there that you know, I'll use myself as an example, that you've known for a while, been attending here for a while, and then a new lady shows up at the church, you know, and me being single, she's a single lady, and you start noticing that we're kind of spending a little time together, maybe going to lunch and talking a lot and that kind of thing. And, hmm. and so then one day this lady comes up to you and says, hey, I got to ask you a question. Sure. I know you know Chaz pretty well, and we've been kind of, you know, talking and kind of seeing each other a little bit, and I wanted to do something for him. I want to do something kind of special to show, you know, my appreciation and, and my fondness for him and that kind of thing. I didn't want to just get a regular old present, but I thought we could maybe do something together. I could maybe take him somewhere. So I was thinking, you know, is there some kind of event or something like that? Maybe I had purchased tickets for or whatever that he would really enjoy that I could take him to. And you think, hmm, well, that, that sounds pretty cool. It sounds like the kind of thing he would enjoy. Let me see. Um, obviously, he likes music. He likes sports pretty good. I've heard him talk about football. Bless his poor heart. He's a Gamecock fan. What you going to do with that? But you can maybe take him to like a, a college football game. She said, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought about that. I know he does like football and all. That would probably be a pretty good idea. But, but I was thinking about something a little bit different. I mean, like you said, he likes music, right? Yeah. Well, there's this ballet coming to Columbia, and it's a world-renowned ballet. They have the greatest ballerina in the world is going to be performing in this thing, and the greatest ballet director of all time has put this thing together, and they're going to be right here in Columbia. It's going to be an amazing production, and I was thinking I might get tickets and take him to that. And you think, well, I mean, that sounds pretty nice and all, but... I've never heard him talk about ballet at all. I don't, 
I don't know that he would really enjoy ballet that much. And so you talk a little bit like that, you know, and, and you part. And then you find out that she's been going to other people in the church and talking to them. Same conversation, right? They're telling her, yeah, he, he likes music, maybe a, a concert. She wants to take him to this ballet. And she gets the same answer over and over. I don't think that's really something right down his alley, not as much as he might enjoy like a baseball game or something like that. By the way, y'all, I don't like ballet, just in case there's any question. So this goes on for a little while. She keeps getting the same answer, and then she bumps into Cindy. We don't have a Cindy here this morning anymore. Okay, I'm going to talk about her. So she bumps into Cindy, and you see her talking to Cindy, and she's having the same conversation with Cindy. What do you think he would like? What would he think about this? And you're thinking to yourself, Cindy doesn't really seem to know him all that well. I mean, they don't, like, hang out. They don't seem to be big buddies. They attend church together, but I don't ever really see them talking or anything. And she's talking to Cindy, and Cindy says, that sounds like a wonderful idea. You talking about the so-and-so ballet and the such-and-such ballerina and this director? Yes, that's the one. That would be amazing. Who wouldn't want to go to that? That's a great idea. You should do that. And getting her confirmation, she's off to buy tickets. Now, what would you think if you're just kind of observing this? Would you start to get suspicious at some point? Would you start thinking, I'm not sure she's really wanting to do this for him so much. I think she really wants to go to this ballet. I think this is something that really excites her, something she wants to do. And she's just trying to get somebody to kind of agree with her so that she can go do this thing that she really wants to. Does that, that make sense? Do you, would you guys look at it that way? All right, so put that aside for a minute. If I titled my message this morning, it would be something like the clarity of Scripture. I want to talk to you this morning about the clarity of Scripture. And this has been rattling around in my head for a little while um, because, for one thing, I was a person years ago that thought Scripture is just not so clear. Why is it so vague? Why is there so many gray areas in this kind of stuff? I'll tell you a, a little, this is a true story. It's a silly story, but it's a true story. I was an adult, and I was not a Christian. I was one of those, I kind of call myself a loophole Christian. I thought I found a loophole. The Scripture says you believe and you're saved. And I thought, well, I believe the Bible's true. I believe God created the world. I believe Jesus is the Son. I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. I'm a Christian. Cool. That means I can live my life however I want to. I found the loophole, right? And that was kind of the way I, I, I looked at myself. And I remember thinking one day, you know, what if I'm out somewhere I don't live my life as a Christian. Nobody's going to look at me and say, boy, that's a Christian right there. I knew that. But what if I'm out somewhere one day and somebody asks, what if the question comes up about being a Christian and, and they ask, well, how does a person get saved anyway or something like that? Shouldn't I at least know what to tell them? I mean, I, I didn't want to look like a big hypocrite. I didn't want to go witnessing to people and preaching with the beer in one hand, you know, I didn't want to be that hypocritical in my beliefs. 
so I started thinking about this. Okay, well, what would I say? How would I deal with this? And I thought, well, what if I just say something like, look, I don't necessarily live that life. I know I don't necessarily do things the way I should, but here's where you can go in the Bible and find the answer to those questions. I thought that's a responsible way of handling that, right? So I thought, well, the way you get saved is pray the sinner's prayer. I knew enough about about Christianity to know that. That's, that's how it works. You know, you say this sinner's prayer and you're saved and you're good. And so I thought, well, I guess what I need to do is go find where that is in the scripture so I can tell the person, just go read, you'll find this prayer here, you know, in Mark or Second Corinthians or wherever that thing is, you know, and then they can go read it for themselves. And so I get my Bible out and I start flipping through it. I couldn't find it. I kept looking and looking and looking. I couldn't find it. I looked and looked. I tore it up. Probably the most Bible reading I had done in years looking for this sinner's prayer. It's not in there. You know, I came to that conclusion and that realization. It's just not in there. And so my reaction was something like, isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like God to just make it so confusing? It's such a simple answer, but you can't just go straight to the scripture and find it. You got to redo all this reading and digging and researching and piece it together. That was my reaction. As Bugs Bunny would have said, what a maroon. I got, it just kind of frustrated me a little bit. Kind of furthered my attitude that, that God's kind of messing with us, playing some kind of game. And that scripture really wasn't clear, you know. So there's plenty of examples where people argue over what the Bible says. Lots of debate, <clears throat> excuse me, about things that are in Scripture. And lots of legitimate things that the Bible just doesn't say this is the answer right here. And so we can debate. Um, but, you know, I think we kind of take that to some extremes. And I think we apply it a lot of ways that it doesn't have to be applied. I was thinking about... Um, things that, that might come up in our everyday lives, like how I should talk, what kind of language is appropriate for me to use, what kind of jokes can I tell, because I used to tell some jokes that I'd be ashamed for y'all to know ever came out of my mouth, and I used to use some language that I would be ashamed for y'all to know I'd ever used. I thank God, one of my biggest thanks to God today is that a stupid smartphone and internet and all that stuff came along after I got out of high school and got out of my early 20s and all that stuff. I would hate for some of the stuff that I've said and done to be recorded and still be out there. I'm telling you, it's, it's shameful. It's shameful. So when we think about things like that, well, what is okay for me to say? Where's that line between, you know, a joke that I shouldn't tell and a joke that's okay to tell? And we know... The scripture says things like in Colossians 3.8 that you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. But I mean, what really is obscene talk? I mean, you might consider it obscene, but it might not be obscene to me. You might consider it a, a cuss word, and it might just kind of be another word. I mean, what, what does that really mean, right? Scripture's just not clear. So we kind of make our own decision what we can do, what, what not to do. What about when we're deciding what's okay for us to watch or listen to or read? 
I know I'm stepping on my own toes now too. But how do we decide? How do we determine that movie's okay, that movie's not. This book is okay, this book is not. This music's okay, this music is not. Scripture's kind of vague, right? I mean, we know that there's scripture that tells us to be like Christ and to be imitators of God. We know that the scripture tells us to be perfect even as the Father in heaven is perfect. That's the words of Jesus, by the way. But I mean, what's perfect, really? You know, and I'm a grown adult. I can deal with some things that little kids can't, you know. I can watch a, an adult movie, as long as it's not too extreme. I mean, Scripture doesn't explicitly say, right? It's just not really clear. So I, I thought about that kind of stuff a lot. And I thought, maybe the question we should start with, the question we should be asking from the very first is, who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please me? Or am I trying to please God? You know, Paul asked this question once in Galatians 1, in verse 10. I'm paraphrasing. He said, who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to get the approval of? Man or God? He was talking to the church. You know, he's talking ostensibly to Christians and saying, look, am I trying to please you guys? Am I trying to get your approval? Or am I trying to please God? Am I trying to get his approval? I suspect that's the question I need to be asking in a lot of areas in my life, you know, when these questions crop up. Should I or shouldn't I? Well, who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to win the approval of? There's a lot of instances in the Scripture where I think we could honestly say, you know, the Scripture really isn't crystal clear if this is okay or not. There's a lot of things, and there's a lot of touchy things. There's things like divorce and 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 intimacy outside of marriage, let me say it that way. Um, there's a lot of things like that. Drinking, you know, smoking, and all kind of stuff like that, that that we can say, you know, the Scripture isn't really crystal clear that this is exactly what you shouldn't do. But I find that generally you find there's kind of two options. There's one option that says, maybe God's okay with this. Maybe, legitimate. Maybe God's okay with this. Then the other option is, I know good and well he's okay with this. Right? We can make some arguments about, you know, maybe God doesn't mind if I use that word. Maybe, maybe God's okay with me telling that joke. But there's no question he'd be okay with me not telling it. No question he'd be okay with me not using that word. No question he'd be okay if I don't watch this movie, but maybe. So in a situation like that, if I'm truly trying to please God, trying to live for him, he's what's important to me. He's the one who, who matters to me more than anything else. Why would I not make choice number two? I mean, what's the argument? So we get down to this kind of difference, and it's so cool because Hap and I were talking about this this morning. Mr. Hap came in, 
And we don't often really talk before service. We kind of, hey, and that kind of thing. But I walked over to him and stood there for a minute. He said, you know, I was watching a service this morning before we came to church. And the guy in the service said something like, you know, there's a lot of people that are saved that don't necessarily have a relationship. They call themselves saved, but they don't have a relationship. Can you be saved and not have a relationship? And I said, Mr. Hap, I think that was the last note I made for my message this morning. I went back, going over it for the thousandth time, and wrote in there, can you be saved without having a relationship? I think we often think of salvation in a kind of a kind of a one-sided way. We think about getting saved. This is what I need to do to keep me from going to hell. And that's, that's a big thing, you know. It's a, it's a huge thing. And we just kind of think of it from that side. It's, it's about me getting saved from eternal damnation. And it's a thing worth thinking about, no question about that. But there should be another side to that, right? Maybe God isn't looking for people who are just saved. Maybe God's not looking for people who are just trying to figure out how to live my life the way I want to as much as possible and still be within God's graces. You know, maybe God's not looking for somebody who's kind of putting their things first and saying, okay, I really want to do this. Let me see if I can do this and still be within God's boundaries without really breaking his rules and laws. Maybe God's looking for people that hunger after him. Yearn to be in his will. Yearn to keep his commandments, to know his rules, to know his laws, to know his commands, his precepts, his desires, and to live that life for him, to please him, to get his approval. So I looked in the Bible to see what it says. So I want to refer you to Psalms 1. I love Psalms 1. We're not sure who wrote this, probably David, who knows, but this is the way the whole book of Psalms starts with. Psalms 1, I'm going to just give you verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's heavy. You know, when I apply that to me, like, wow, that's kind of tough. I might need to work on that a little bit. He's talking about men who delight in the law of the Lord. It's what they love. Read through the Psalms, and you'll come across many times David or, or other psalmists saying, Lord, I love your laws. I love your commands. I love your precepts. Teach me, Lord. Teach me your ways. Teach me your laws. I want to know them, Lord. They're life to me. They're wonderful to me. I want to live them. Help me, Lord. Of course, we all remember the greatest commandment. 
Jesus said the greatest commandment. He and uh, there's a couple of places, but Matthew 22, 37 to 38, Jesus says, "Here's the greatest commandment: You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's a big commandment. That's bigger than Thou shalt not murder, right?" We think, of, we, we think of sin in our own kind of way, like murder is like the worst thing you could do, or maybe, you know, commit rape or do something to a kid or something like that, you know. These are terrible sins. That's not what Jesus said. She said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all of your soul. And you know what? If you do that, it seems all the other stuff just works out. You don't have to worry about all those other things. In fact, that's what uh, Paul said, that, that all of the commandments hinge on those first two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else kind of hinges on that, builds off of that. Then there's Jeremiah 29. We love Jeremiah 29, right? I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, right? Hallelujah. Here's what Jeremiah 29, 13 says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, this is a promise God's making, but there's a condition here, right? Yeah, you'll find, you seek me, you'll find. That's what, that's what Jesus is seeking. You will find, knock, and it'll be open. Seek me, you'll find me. But there's a condition. When you seek me with all your heart, then you'll find me. So, you remember our story from earlier about the lady asking about the ballet tickets and what you think and all that kind of stuff. And I think, man, how much am I like that at times? How, how often do we kind of do things like that with God, right? That we kind of say in the right things, we talk like, we tell ourselves, I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. But the truth is, kind of trying to figure out how we can do what we want to do and still be within God's graces. And I think in the story, I hope in the story that I completely made up, of course, that we're able to see the disingenuousness, right? This lady really doesn't seem to be all that sincere she doesn't seem to be genuinely trying to do what she says she's trying to do. And if we, being fallen humans, can see that, don't you think God can see that? Don't you think God can even look into our hearts and see what's going on? Scripture said God's not mocked. God knows us inside out. He knew us before the earth was ever created. He knew us. He knows each and every one of us better than anyone else. So, this question kind of rises to me, well, does God test us? Does he actually do that? You know, we blame a lot of stuff on the devil. And I got no problem blaming the devil, whatever you want to blame him with. But every time something bad happens, blame that devil. My tire went flat this morning on the way to work, and it was raining that devil. 
somebody at work talking about me behind my back. Man, that devil, he's always messing with me. My, my paycheck come up short. I ain't got money for my, that devil. Right? Well, as I read this scripture, I actually don't see so much of that. But I see a lot of God testing people. Of course, probably the biggest example, or the most well-known example, is Job. Oh, Job, man, every day, right? I mean, he went through it, right? And yet, Job says, in a, in a couple of places, Job says, God did this to me. Now, we know the story. We know the devil talking with God, and God saying, okay, you know, you can do this, but don't do any more, and all of that. So he is allowing the devil to do these things. But that's kind of the point. God's allowing. And Job said, God did this. And God says of Job, he has spoken correctly. It says Job did not sin with his mouth. God, at the, at, towards the end of Job, calls him my servant Job. He has spoken correctly about me, my servant Job. What about Abraham? Scripture says God tested Abraham when he told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Man, now that's a test right there, right? That's tough. And we all know that story. Abraham's going to do it. I didn't even see where he argued or anything. Come on, Isaac. You know? And it says God tested him. What about Joseph? I love the story of Joseph. Man, it's so cool. Joseph was in prison in a foreign land. He was sold to foreigners as a slave and dragged off to some foreign land where he didn't know anybody, forced to work in someone's house. And before long, because the wife of the owner was an evil, conniving woman and got mad at him, she lied on my boy and got him thrown in prison. That's wrong. And here's Joseph in prison, and he goes from prison to second in command over the entire country. Nothing but God. Amen. But here's the thing. We all agree and we always say, man, that's so incredible. And, of course, that's the big part of the story. But the same God put Joseph in slavery and had a woman lie on him and throw him in jail. And you know the scripture even says in Psalms, Psalms uh, 105, 17 and 19, talks a minute about the people, you know, the children of Israel. That's kind of where they, where they got their base in Egypt. What's through Joseph? He says, he had sent a man ahead of him, of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Man. I mean, that's, that's heavy. And I think about me, you know, it's a cool story. You know, you, you hear the story of Joseph and you think, man, that would be so cool, right? That would be so cool. What if that happened? Something like that, you know, happened to me. What if that was me in there? You know, how cool. But then I think, I don't know, when my brothers jump on me, and beat me and throw me into a pit, take my favorite cloak, cut it up, pour blood on it so they can go back and tell my dad I got killed by a wild animal, and then I get sold into slavery, and then the slave owner's wife gets mad, 
jealous and, and conniving and lies on me and gets me thrown in a prison, how would I react to all that? I'm not sure I'd be saying, praise the Lord. God is in control. Hallelujah. Look what he's doing. I'd be saying, that devil, doggone it. He's always messing with me. I think it's a, an interesting question to ask. You know, think about Joseph and, and what happened with him. And then think about your own life and ask yourself, where are you in that journey? You know, all Joseph got was to be second in command over all of Egypt. That's, that's all he got. You guys are going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's treasure like Joseph never imagined, like Egypt never saw. Where are you in that journey? Maybe you're not at that ending kind of really good place where things are going really well. Maybe you're somewhere earlier in that journey. Maybe God's testing you. There's this verse that I love. I read Psalms regularly. Like, like every day I try to read some Psalms. And every time I come across this verse, it's just it's a powerful verse. It's the Psalm 18, 25, and 26. It says, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. Now, that word, that's not torture, but tortuous means something like full of twists and turns. Another word that you might see in some of the older translation is froward. I like that word, froward. It's not forward, F-O-R-W-A-R-D. It's froward, F-R-O-W-A-R-D. And it can even mean contrary, like hard to understand, hard to get a handle on. Now, that's fascinating to me as I read this over and over, and I think it says, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. But with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. You make yourself seem hard to understand, hard to figure, unclear maybe. And it's fascinating to me that in those first three occasions, it says you show yourself merciful. You show yourself blameless. You show yourself pure. But then at the end, you make yourself seem tortuous. Now, that kind of says to me that God's really not, and I certainly believe, he's really not unclear. He's really not contrary. He's really not trying to be hard to understand. But it depends on how you come to him. So I was looking at like verses that, that maybe talk about testing just to just to kind of confirm my suspicion. So I just wanted to throw a few at you. Here's Deuteronomy eight two. 
And you shall remember the whole way, it's talking about the, the children of Israel, that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. I saw, I was at a, a tire place uh, Friday, and they had a sign. I was like, man, that's so cool. And it said, he proved his love by dying for me. I proved my love by keeping his commandments. Man, that's so cool. And that's, that's straight out of scripture. That's, that's the way scripture talks about it. Deuteronomy 13, 1 and 3. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, remember that was earlier, that was the test. This is how you'll know if they're a false prophet. If they give you a sign or a wonder, tell you a word, and it doesn't come to pass, they're a false prophet. But then he goes on to say, and even if a prophet or dreamer of dreams gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known. And let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Man, that's kind of heavy. James 1, 3. James says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James says, rejoice in your trials. Hallelujah. It's another trial. All right. Right? We're supposed to be excited. Rejoice. Man, God's testing me again. All right. <laughs> but you know what? That's the opportunity for your blessing. Right? That's the opportunity for you to, to be storing up some reward in heaven where it really matters. That tough stuff. You know, it's like a, was it Paul who said, you know, when someone bids you good day and you bid them good day, what's that worth? Even the sinners do that. If you love somebody, you show love to somebody that shows love to you, what's that? It's worth nothing. But when someone mistreats you, when someone is mean to you, when someone is ugly to you, and you respond in kindness, you repay curses with blessing. That's when you're gaining reward. So if I think if we could get in that mindset and really get a hold of that, maybe we could actually get to the place where when something really bad happens to us, we go, ah, here's another awesome opportunity. I remember years ago, a friend of mine that I love dearly. She's, she's a daughter of a really good friend that I've known for a long, long time. And she was just getting out of high school and had gotten a, like a little associate's degree or something like that, and they going to work. And she's working in a professional setting, you know, kind of for the first time, real adult, you know, out here in this professional setting. And she's a Christian, and she loves the Lord, just a sweet, sweet girl. And there was a couple of girls close to her age that worked with her, and they were giving her a fit. I was really surprised, especially in, I mean, this is in like a doctor's office. They found out that this girl's a Christian, and that that meant things like, you don't sleep with people you're not married to. She tried to live her life according to Scripture. And, man, when those girls found out, it was brutal. I was really, really surprised at some of the things that were said, and it really upset her. And when I found out about it, I 
think it was her mom telling me. I don't think it was her telling me. But when I found out about it, my reaction was, yes, okay. And I wanted to be careful, you know, not to sound like I was enjoying it too much. But we talked about it. And I said, that's terrible. I, you know, I can't believe they, they would do that. That's terrible. But that's kind of cool. What do you mean it's kind of cool? It's like the disciples in the scripture. They went away rejoicing because they had been found worthy of persecution in the name of the Lord. How cool. These people are attacking her because they know she follows Jesus Christ. And that's worth something. Psalm 66, 10 says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Not the devil. God. And 1 Peter 1, I love 1 Peter. You should read 1 Peter over and over and over. It's, it's a great book. Um, this is verses 6 through 7. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. But James says we're supposed to rejoice in our trials. Come on. You've been grieved by various trials so that tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it has been tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tested genuineness of your faith. I thought about that a lot too. Can't God just look in my heart and say, yeah, his faith is genuine. His love for me is genuine. Of course he could, right? He knows our heart. God doesn't have to test us to know how we're going to respond, right? He knows ahead of time what we're going to do. I absolutely believe that. So why does God test us? If he knows, why does he test us? And I ask people this question sometimes, and one of the most popular answers is like, well, I think he's doing it so that you'll see. He knows what you're going to do, but he wants to kind of expose it so that you see it. Well, that's a good answer. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's probably, probably accurate. But I thought about this a lot. God is the righteous and just judge of all the universe. The scripture is quite clear that one day every single one of us is going to stand before him. The way the scripture reads to me, we're going to stand alone, each one of us, before God. We're not going to have our lawyer right there. We're not going to have our pastor right there. We're not going to have our mom and dad right there. It's going to be us, right? And we're going to have to answer. The scripture says for every idle word we have spoken. Jeez. We're going to stand before this righteous, just judge of all the universe. And I wonder if he doesn't test us so that when that day comes, he can lay it out however much evidence he needs to lay out to prove what he says is true. Unfortunately, we know there's going to be a lot of people that won't have a leg to stand on. And if they want to argue, and I can't imagine arguing with God when you're actually standing there in his presence face to face, but I've heard a lot of people say stuff like that. 
Man, well, God does it. I'm going to say, you know, yeah, whatever. You, yeah. Go ahead. Think like you want to think. But if they want to argue, God's going to have all this evidence. Oh, yeah? You remember this? You remember this? You remember this? You remember this? But it's not just a bad thing. See, because the scripture talks about Christians gathering up reward in heaven. Right? So God's also going to be able to say, that's my girl right there. Well, why do you say that? Well, this is why I say that. Once this happened, and this is how she responded. Then another time this happened, and this is how she responded. Then another time. You remember that really bad thing that happened to you one time? I did that. And the reason I did that was because I knew how you were going to respond, and you responded wonderfully. And what a celebration. Right? This bottom line is that... Um, you know, I'm going to stand before the Lord one day, and I can already tell you, I'm guilty. I mean, if, I don't know what it's going to look like, but if they ask, how do you plead? Guilty. I, I got no recourse. Got no defense. I'm guilty. And then if they ask, well, then why on earth do you think that the righteous and just judge of all the universe should allow you into his kingdom. I hope I have the strength to say because his son Jesus died for me. That's my only hope. I'm not going to be able to say well, that's a whole lot of good stuff. Doesn't it kind of counter it out? It's not the way it works. You're not going to be able to say, well, I lived this many years, you know, for myself. But then I've lived a lot of years for Christ. It's not the way it's going to work. My only hope, your only hope, is in Jesus Christ. And I think according to what I see in the scripture we ought to be changed to the extent that not only is our hope and trust solely in Jesus Christ and the work he did for us on the cross, but that we love him. We love him with all our heart. I'm not even sure how that actually works. I, I can't stand here and say, well, I love him with all my heart. I'm just not exactly sure how all that works, but that's what I want. And that's what I pray God's changed me, and I pray that he continues to change me. I pray I wake up tomorrow a different person than I was today. I want to grow in appreciation and love for my God and my Savior that sent his son to take my place and die for me and give his life for mine. And that starts to sound an awful lot like a relationship, right? I think that's what we're supposed to be striving for, is an honest-to-goodness relationship with Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Lord, thank you that you saw fit 
for whatever reason, in your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your wisdom, you saw fit to send him to be nailed to a cross and to be killed for our sake and to take on our penalty, to take on our debt of sin that we owed to take it on himself and to pay for that for us so that we don't have to suffer the dire consequences of those things, Lord. Thank you for your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy. Thank you for the opportunity this morning, Father, and I I pray that you would just uh, bless all of our proceedings here today in Jesus' name.